This, 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 this is mythical. Ear Biscuits is supported by Mountain Dew. We all get bogged down with the mundane tasks of life, especially this time of year. But isn't it time you take a break from your normal, boring routine? Don't just sit on the sidelines and watch life go by. Get in the game! With the bold tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast, you can be having a blast anywhere. Having a blast at work. Having a blast in traffic. Okay. Having a blast while you file your taxes. What? No, really, we mean it when we say anywhere. With Baja Blast now in stores everywhere, where you can be having a blast whenever and wherever you are all year long. So what are you waiting for? Pick up an ice cold Baja Blast today at a store near you and for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast in stores and at participating Taco Bell locations, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. This swag is available for a limited time only, so do not wait. Grab a Baja Blast and start having a blast right away. No purchase necessary. Open to US residents 18 and over, subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com. Ends June 15th, 2024, void where prohibited. Welcome to Ear Biscuits, the podcast where two lifelong friends talk about life for a long time. I'm Link. And I'm Rhett. This week at the round table of dim lighting, you could kinda call this a part two to what we did last week where we talked about all the ideas that we've had that have never seen the light of day. They you know, failed, yeah. they fizzled out, we were they were rejected. rejected. Now let me also say that some of the stuff that we went through last week, I thought about this after the fact, some of those ideas we kind of Re- rejected. Like yeah. like like they didn't even make it to the first level of or maybe they were considered by like an agent or someone who looked at a list of ideas and said, "Okay, this is the one that I think might be viable." So yeah. I, I didn't want to make give the impression that every single idea that we went through last week we had sat down in a room with a group of people and pitched it to them and it was rejected. Some of them were. They were all rejected on some level, but some just Never, like little baby birds that never even got pushed out of the nest. They just came out of the egg and then died. I don't like picturing a dead baby bird. A dead baby bird. Some didn't even get out of the egg. They're in the egg and and they die inside the egg. That's better. And then you just have a dead bird inside of an egg. That's fine, I'm cool cool with that. But like one of those That's even grosser to me. No, because it's Because I eat eggs, I crack eggs, and I always have a fear. Every time I crack an egg, I think to myself, is there gonna be a bird in this one? Well, that's why you need to shine the light on it first. <laughs> I don't do that. But the baby birds that are like out and like they don't have any feathers and they're like. They're cute, they're eye- They look like little dinosaurs. Their eyeballs are like huge and like bruised. They look like they there's bruised all over. You look like you should be talking with a German accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for a different look today. I found this. This sweater. But the combination of your glasses and your sweater. I bought this sweater. You look like. Cashmere, by the way. Uh, it is peach. What was the uh, the old SNL skit? Sprockets. <laughs> you look, Sprockets. <laughs> you look, they wore black, man. I know, you look like. You didn't wear, the, no, you didn't wear peach. The 2021 version of Sprockets. Hey, man. If Sprockets came back, it would be peach. I look different, but I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I think I look good, and then hey, I didn't say you look bad. Christy, I said you look German. I was fully ready to come in. Yeah, I've got different glasses on today. My my signature link glasses. I heard about this. Broke. Yeah, sorry about that. By the way, and um, I punched him. I've been wearing them for a couple of months. Broken. It's just that right here. 
I just noticed one day the lens just fell out in my hand mm. and it's because part of the frame, it just broke clear in two. Now I could super glue it, but consulting with Jenna, we're gonna take it to a professional because. Right. And they're gonna glue it. <laughs> the, right, because the. the um, and you're gonna pay them for it. I cannot buy another replica of these go-to glasses of mine that I've had for years. I, like four years ago, I did buy a second pair. And you lost them. Oh, I got stolen. I kept them in my oh, car. Yes. Thanks for spoiling all of my stories this morning. <laughs> well, I, don't, I'm, it's not, I mean, come on, man. I just, I'm just that was a punchline. Continuing the conversation. And guess what? It was stolen. Yeah, stolen out of my car in my own freaking driveway, my second pair of glasses. So that Sorry when, about that, by so the that way, when as this well. happens. You know what? I should probably give I those have, to you now. I still have my glasses. I, I stole those from you. So when you broke your other ones, I could give them to you, and I think I've misplaced them at this point. These are I'm not sticking. I'm not switching to these because I don't like them enough. But it's a nice change of pace, though. I thought you know what? It's a nice change of pace for today. I'm wearing this peach sweater. You look two or three IQ points smarter than you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I was thinking, I looked in the mirror. Then your previous. I'm like, self hey, I've got. It. I kind of got a different look, but I think I like it. I go downstairs and I'm like ready to walk out the door, and Christy looks at me, and I'm I'm like. Yeah, she's gonna say, she's gonna give me a compliment or at least say gonna, I look like that guy from Sprockets. She's gonna laugh at you probably is what no, she did. First thing she said was, there's, what's this, like a red dot on your neck and uh, you got another one. I actually put a little makeup on it so you can't see it. Oh, that, what, oh, oh pull, pull, pull that down again, would you? What in the world? Is it there? Yeah, you got a rash. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's from the sweater. You got, pull it down again? Yeah, you got a rash, man. I actually feel, I think it's just that I'm flush. I'm kind of wired this morning. Uh, anyway. Because you went I'm, to the gym. I'm in the market to some new. You went to the gym and you got your heart rate up. That's what it is, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I'm in the market for some new glasses, but I'm, I'm gonna get as close to my go-to glasses as I can get because going this far away, I never wear them because they're, I don't, I don't, they're too far. Well, too far from the real me. And speaking of being too far, we went kind of far afield there. What I was getting to was uh -huh. uh, what we're going to talk about today is how we've dealt with that rejection. You know, more on a, an emotional level, and what that has done to us. Uh, years years of having things, you know, rejected multiple things that we can never bring to the light of day, or things that were brought to the light of day that then. I mean, are considered failures. Like, how do you how do you move on after failure from a creative standpoint? Yeah. So we'll we'll discuss that. I do want to give you an update on uh, one of my children. Uh, Choose one. I'll, I'll pick the older one. And so, I think we've we've covered the fact that our kids got a little bit later start with the whole getting their driver's license thing. It's, it's a generational thing. Kids are not rushing on their 16th birthday to get their license, at least not in Los Angeles, I guess because of Uber. Um, and and then COVID, of course, had a pretty large impact on everybody's <laughs> plans. To like, yeah. like for Locke, it was, he needed to get his driving lessons, and then once COVID hit, it was like, well, you can't, we don't right. really want you to get into the car with somebody right now, so. Mm -hmm. But anyway, since we're coming out on the on the other side of that, he has, He's got his permit, and so he can drive us around. Now, Jesse, even though he is now, he's already seventeen. He's already seventeen. He, he could have he could have had his license long ago. Fifteen and a half. He could have right. He could have taken his drive. What he's doing now. And and every day, he tells me how much he regrets 
not going with the original schedule and I say, this is why I told you 100 times <laughs> at least that you should do this. He was like, I know, I just sometimes I just have to learn things the hard way, Dad. Damn, that's a milestone, man. I mean, that right there is what every parent lives for. The when you say I told you so, and they're like, "You're right." Like, how often does that happen? <laughs> well, often in my house. <laughs> no, no, actually, oh, no. God, it no, doesn't. It, no, it's interesting because it is happening more lately with him. Like, I thought that some. Of, I thought that really? there would be things that would be like, okay, you know, when he's is it a pill that I can get my kids to? When take? he's like 28, he'll he'll come home for Christmas and he'll be like, you know what? You guys were actually pretty good parents, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he actually, I, I told you this yesterday, he, he he recently said, I've actually realized recently that you guys are actually pretty good parents. <laughs> and you what? just gotta understand. Did you get suspicious, but like, what do you want? Coming, no, he wasn't asking for anything. He was just experiencing some things with, uh, uh, you know, uh, other parents and stuff, and, oh. and, and has points of reference and stuff, and he's, mm. You know, appreciating his own parents. So, oh, us? You talking about yeah, me and the Neils? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so anyway, so he is driving now, and Jesse had this stipulation. She was like, "I'm not driving with him. You can drive with him." Her and Locke tend to kind of get into it sometimes, mm-hmm. and I could only imagine, and, and she could only imagine what it would be like if she's trying to. You know the classic trope of the 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 new driver and the parent in the passenger seat. It's funny losing their mind. It's funny because Christy said the same thing about Jesse. Said what? That she she wasn't going to ride with him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, can you imagine Jesse's offspring? <laughs> but, but it's also my offspring. So I was like, okay. I mean, then that means that we're just going to be driving on the weekends because that's like the the time that I've got in order to do this. And so the first couple of like driving lessons were going to a big parking lot and getting the basics of the car down. Like, okay, this is, you know, literally like, yeah. you know, when we grew up, we had we had driven like golf carts and go-karts and four-wheelers. We had a lot of driving experience. My kid's a city kid. It's just, he's come up different. And so there wasn't yeah. like all this driving experience that you could just transfer over to a car. So it was a little bit like, Oh, the gas is here and the brake is here. Like it was, we were literally at that point. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm basically just getting through that point with Lincoln, who is, uh, you know, he just turned sixteen, and it's you take him to a parking lot, and for the reason you're talking about, there's like, it's not a big parking lot that you can find that's empty. There's like five and then other there's, people. There's at least yeah. four. There's four other cars just like parked or lurching slowly. Yeah, and so that that's actually seems worse. Because it's like all these cars are just gonna lurch into each other because well, they don't know the difference between the gas and the brake. And you know, it's this is actually a great time. Uh, I mean, it's the traffic is picking up, but I would say that a couple of months ago when we started doing these little adventures, LA traffic is as low as it's ever been in the, in, in the history of our 10 years of being here, but probably yeah. in the past 30, 40 years because of, because of COVID. So, but if you wanna experience going back, you can watch the latest Tarantino movie. It has a lot of LA driving. That's basically all I remember about the movie. Which which one? That and Brad Pitt on LSD. But oh, uh, the Hollywood. Once upon one. a time in Hollywood. Um. So anyway, so yes, yeah, so we did the parking lot thing, and I wasn't too confident. I was like, I, I wanted him to get the feel of like, okay, this is how you pull up into a parking space. This is how you you back out, and this is how you 
you put the brakes on, you shift the gears, and you, you're t- getting those, the transitional points of driving, which would, is a really big part of driving. Yeah, yeah. Just being on a road and going straight and stopping and then starting again, that's, for, that's not that's, driving. That ain't driving. Yeah, I, I remember telling, I was telling Lincoln, I was like, I was, he was in the driver's seat and I realized I needed to tell him how to, what to do with his hands in order to turn a 90 degree turn. And I'm like, same thing. well you're supposed to, you're supposed to grab and I told him what to do based on what I thought I would do and then I was like, I was like, you know what, pull over. I don't think, I think what I'm telling you is not what I do. And I was totally right. It's like, you think you should, I'm, you're supposed to like grab hand over hand and then when I did it, I was like doing something totally different. Right. Now, I just wanna get a timeline straight here with your story with Locke because you have told the story of when we went to Death Valley, you let him drive in the desert, which which was oh. like a series of. Well, that was the first time he, that was the first time he ever drove. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a little bit traumatic. Right, so. And I was a little bit worried, like, is he gonna be okay? Well, when we got back from 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 Death Valley, and you know, he actually, he didn't have his permit at that time, I don't think. And Lincoln still doesn't. That's why um, we're only in a parking lot. But so, but now he has it, and so we're able to like legally let him drive, not just in the middle of the desert. So he, he, he did the parking lot thing, and there was a couple of times where I, I, I was, tr- you know, sometimes you you find yourself becoming the stereotypical dad who's like yelling and saying things that you're gonna regret yeah, and you, you kind of catch yourself, you're like, ah, I feel like I'm on a sitcom right now, like I'm Murray Goldberg or whatever, you know? <laughs> and um, Some grunting, the occasional fart. But he was doing pretty good and so then I was like, all right, well let's take this out into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we kind of drove around some like quiet neighborhood streets. Yep. And then I realized that, the, so he was coming to stops abruptly. Like we would stop and he would be going a little bit too fast and he would stop. And then even he was going a little bit too slow, when he would come to a stop and roll to a stop, there would be like a, a jerk. That moment where the brakes totally seize. Totally seize. And yeah. then when he takes off, he would go, and then I, I found myself. Feel the, I, your brain hitting the back of your skull I every time. I found yeah. myself becoming my dad. You know, my dad, my dad didn't just tell you how to do things. He like, there was like a second level of like style that he thought was important. It was philosophical. So I was like, Locke, listen, I'm gonna tell you, as I teach you to drive, I'm going to tell you a lot of things that are going to make you a better than average driver. That's your goal, is to be better than average, right? And I was like, there's a lot of people who are never going to learn some of the, intricacies that I'm gonna teach you. Yes. And the, one of the things is I'm gonna teach you is the smooth. Yes. To be smooth. Yes. And there's three ways that you can be smooth in a car, uh-huh. okay? The first way is stopping. The second way is going. And the third way, <laughs> the third oh, way. Man. Oh, whoa, hold on. I'm on I'm on the edge of my seat now because you already did, you already covered stopping and going. And, the, and there's a third one? The third one is but we'll while, get to the third one right after this. Nope, psych, here it is. While you're driving. Now you know this because we talked about it a million times. You get into a car with oh, like God. an Uber okay, driver. Yeah, yeah. And there are, there are many Uber drivers and drivers in general who do this like pulsating acceleration thing where they're like, uh, 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 uh. it's like instead of just like treating, you need to treat the gas pedal and the brake like I don't want to get I sexual here, but go go for it. It's man. like foreplay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Is this what you, you told Lot? I was like, 
you got. I didn't use the, the. I didn't use foreplay as an analogy. I thought that would be inappropriate, but, Good, I'm, but I'm, I'm using it here. That's a fun. I mean, talk about a, a fun driving lesson. It, you you want the, your foot to be on that brake, and you want it to ease. And then I was like, and there's the art of the of the roll. Right when you sense that the brakes are about to lock up, you release. The release. You release a little bit. And this is, of yeah. course, to carry the foreplay thing. Right when you're about to, uh huh. You pull back. Okay. And so, and then when you take off, you want to go, you don't want to go straight pedal to the metal, you want to eat, and I said, picture it as Jenna, if- I didn't know this is what he was gonna talk about when I said, hey, you should sit in on this one because we're fully vaxxed. Um, I said, picture it as if you had a glass of wine, and I don't know why oh, I, this is I chose glass of wine again. I said, you've got a glass of wine on the dashboard, mm. and you want that to stay perched on the dashboard. That's how smooth you need to be at all times. Because you're creating an experience for the other passengers in your in your car. And, and then first, every time you come to a smooth stop, you want to take a deep gulp of that wine. And so what? And uh and then I said something like I, I actually at one point I switched it to I said a glass of water. He said, "You just said a, you said a glass of wine a second ago." <laughs> he, <laughs> he was with it. He, he's like totally on board. Oh man. And like, you know what? He's getting it. So We've been driving together and like he, the thing is is that Locke's mind works a lot like mine and so instead of thinking that what I was saying was ridiculous, he he understood that there was a standard that we could hold ourselves to right. in driving that was above just getting around safely. That's professorial. Getting around with style is what you're aspiring to. Now if you wanna, if you as the tutor or the professor of driving school, if you wanna go full Miyagi on this thing, you need to bring a glass of wine. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought about this. That, that's the that's the ultimate test. This this is not. He's got he's got his driving test in a couple of weeks, and I, I'm going to tell him to take a glass of take wine. Take a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my dad told my me dad to bring me. this. <laughs> that's good, man. Let's. I mean, it, it's so funny because that's one of the first things that I was teaching Lily, and that uh, I've started to instill in Lincoln is this same principle of like, as you're stopping, you got to picture the brake. About the, the grip. It's like I tried to explain how the brake works. You become the anti-light brakes. Right, so that as it as it closes down, as the brake pad closes down on it, then at the last second you wanna release it a little bit. Yeah, right, exactly. But I didn't use the, yeah. I, I, I was a very practical and yeah. I, I think I missed the mark with an inspirational analogy. Yeah, I don't think you have to go foreplay. I think the glass of wine kind of covers everything. Mm -hmm. You put the glass of wine on the dashboard, you want it to stay filled, you don't want it to spill when you're stopping, starting, or any time while going, taking a, taking a turn. All about smoothness. Yeah, you, you wanna be stopped before you realize it. You, you, that's just a surprise. Oh, we, we're, we're stopped. And let me tell you oh, right we're now. we're going again. Let me tell you, in the same way that many people go their entire lives without dealing with their own halitosis, which is, a there's a certain percentage of the population that doesn't ever deal with the halitosis, right? There's a certain percentage of the population that never ascends to the smooth driving level. This is our new. This is this is the second. Thing this is on our, our, list. our second mission in life. Yeah, it is. First mission is to get people to deal with their nasty, stink ass breath. Well, I would and say the second no, one the is to get them to be smooth drivers. And <laughs> let's just take the opportunity. Gargle with fifty percent hydrogen peroxide, fifty yeah. percent water. Or mix it with wine if you're feeling <laughs> if you're feeling freaky. You can put a glass of uh, hydrogen peroxide on your dashboard and do both at the same time. Oh yes, <laughs> there it is. Hey, hey we just figured yeah, it hey, out. 
We need to start the Rent Link Driving School, man. <laughs> it's like, uh, when you leave here, your breath will smell like a, I was gonna say B-Y- a baby's bottom, but that's <laughs> actually, that's ridiculous. B-Y-O-H-P. Yeah, B-Y-O-H-P, man. Yeah, I like this. Anyway, Locke's doing great. Uh, his driver, his driving instructor told him, now this is after a few lessons with dad, okay? The, uh, the Mr. Miyagi of driving, as Link is just uh, I did me. not say that, uh, you fell short of that. The driving instructor said, you know what? You're a natural. And he said, I gotta tell you, a lot of these kids that I teach are just dumbasses. <laughs> That's what he said. And he was like, but you're, but you're a natural. In fact, he says, you could pass your test right now. And he drove on the highway, and then just the other day, for a Mother's Day brunch, huh. um, Jesse and I, I mean, uh, we the boys and I drove to meet Jesse at a hotel. She was getting some time alone uh, for Mother's Day in a hotel, and we met her for a brunch in, in in West Hollywood. So we were like, this is like a forty minute drive, mm-hmm. and he drove. He had the full L.A. driving experience, driving on the one hundred and one, driving over the canyon, Laurel Canyon. Like I was like, and then driving in you know West Hollywood, and the traffic wasn't that bad on a Sunday. But I was like, hey man. You know, this is if you can drive here, you can drive anywhere in the United States. You, North Carolina would be a breeze at this point for you. So I think he's 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 uh he's see, getting there. See, Christy was in the car. We also went to West Hollywood for for Mother's Day. Just the place to be. But Christy was in the car, so I did not. It didn't even cross my mind to suggest that Lily drive the car. Oh, Chris Christy will get a little anxious about it. Yeah. Oh well. And Lily will also get anxious. You know, if like this is our big. You know, we gotta make it to the brunch. I and only yelled very loudly one time. What What did you yell? Uh, it may have been a curse word. I think it was like, what the hell? Like that kind of thing, you know. Uh, but I think it was, uh, he was doing great, but then uh, there was a car that was stopped in the middle, uh, like a car that had broken down in the middle of the 101. And he got right up behind it and then had to like pull, and he pulled in front of somebody but then he moved over one more lane and like really cut somebody off, and uh, I yelled at that point. When we, but then dr- I immediately let me say I immediately apologized. Okay, okay. I was like, hey, I'm sorry about yelling because because he aver- crisis averted, he, and he was like, Dad, I'm calm. Ooh, ooh. And I was like, you know what? That's good. I had to hurt. Master becomes the t- uh, student. Yeah. Well, I mean, Daniel did win his match at the end of. I wouldn't know. The Karate Kid. When we, you know, to harken back to when we did the college visit, that was a long drive, and I got Chris, uh, I got Lily to drive some of the way, even though she did not want to. Like, you gotta get them on the freeway. You gotta get them merging. You gotta uh, get them merging. That's what they're all scared of. Well, I've done that. Like, we did the whole, well, let's go out and let's merge, let's take every off-ramp and on-ramp. Oh, oh. Every off-ramp and on-ramp. That's called the Miyagi merge. Yeah, we did that. Because that's on and off, yep. I only wish there was wine Merge involved. on. Merge, Merge off. off. Yeah. Okay, I sound <laughs> hey, familiar. This school. Uh, we got this, man. Is Mr. Miyagi, is the guy who played him dead? Does that mean we have the rights? Yes. <laughs> is, that, is that how they worked legally? Uh, Pat Marita. Pat Marita is how dead. How do I know his name? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I, you know what? If you had given me like seven hours, I could have arrived wow. at that. I mean, I have really impressed you myself. You, you, haven't, you still haven't even seen the original Karate Kid. Not all of it. I feel like I have. Pat you Marita. Know, uh, I watched the pilot of the, uh, I don't want to get off on that. So I got Lily to drive, and we're on the freeway, and then we're like going, we're going through some hills off the freeway, okay? Hmm. And um, she's doing good, but it was a little scary. 
first time it's the first time we were all in the car and she was driving and I wanted her I wanted her to get an idea of like how was, Lan- how was Lando doing longer with distance this? driving. Well, was he more was he scarier than Christy? At one point he said, um, "I don't feel good." <laughs> and then he said, "I don't feel good." A few minutes later, he's like, "I don't feel good." You know how the I don't feel good gets shorter and right. shorter, more staccato. Eventually, it turns into I feel bad, and then you transition. It turned into Christie's like, "I think we need to pull over," and then I'm like, "We got to find a good spot." And Lily, I don't want you to panic, but you know, we were going like 70 miles per hour on like, like kind of curvy roads, four lanes. It was challenging, and I wanted to. I was like, "Okay, I see a spot. You're going to pull over up there, Lando. We're pulling over up there." Uh, we hit the gravel and then the vomit from the very back of the car hits Christie's seat in the middle of the car. He threw up on her. As we were stopping and pulling out, and you talk about dad yelling, I'm like, just hold it in your mouth. Oh, that's what he meant. Just I, hold it in your mouth. I didn't realize he was getting sick. He I thought was he, getting he, sick. He, I thought he was up, he, he felt unsafe. No, he felt nauseous. And he vomited in the in the car, and that's and where then, the smoothness comes in. Because then he got out. You you make your, your yeah. passenger sick if you don't take those. And sometimes the roads are you can't avoid it. And when you're in the very back, like the way back, it's even worse. And you're and you're a kneel. And that's we what, get car sick. And that's what we teach at the Miyagi School of Driving and Fresh Breath. Christy Christy was trying so Christy hopped out. It was like there was a fire inside of the car. It's like if you were watching from across the street at the fruit stand where the guys were watching. We pull over, the, all the doors open. We're trying to get Lando out. Christy gets out of her seat in the middle of the, the SUV and she, she yanks up on the thing to make the seat the, fly the forward. The eject button. <laughs> yeah, to make the seat fly forward so that Lando can crawl out from behind the seat. And as she's doing that, he's vomiting on the seat, and she oh, he's re- vomiting again. She, re- I think that was the first vomit. Like as we stop, uh, she yeah. hops out. Okay, he's vomiting on the seat. He's gonna kill me for telling this story, but he's not gonna listen. And right, no yeah. one's gonna tell him. Right? Don't send it. Don't add him on Twitter. <laughs> um, L- Christy's panicking so much because I'm yelling for him to hold it in your mouth. Yeah, like a good dad. <laughs> She we don't accept that at the Miyagi school. She you ripped, cannot vomit in a car, You're, you are expelled. She ripped the handle that makes the seat go forward. She rips it off, it's in her hand, and then lock, I mean, uh, Lando has to crawl across the seat and get out and vomit some more on the side of the road. And I, I still don't know how to fix it. How did you, how did you clean it up? Did you have vomit smell the rest of the ride? Uh, we had wipes. The Neos got wipes, man. Yeah, but the wipes McLaughlin's, for days. The McLaughlin's would be in trouble. We'd have like one napkin from McDonald's. So in the glove compartment, we blame that on Lily, and then I I took over from there. But I think it was with I think the windows it, down. I think it would have been me. It would have happened if I was driving anyway. That's what I'm trying to say. Right, it's, it was the road. Well, anyway, the kids are doing great. <laughs> that was less enough of their successes. Let's get to our failures. Ear Biscuits is supported by the Farmer's Dog. Dogs will eat basically anything you put in front of them. And if you're Barbara, you will like <laughs> seek it out off of tables, counters. That that woman is crazy, <laughs> uh, that woman being my dog. Uh, so it's important to be putting the right kind of food in their bowls. Right, and when you care about your dogs as much as we care about ours, you know, a thoughtful approach to what goes in those bowls makes sense. Yes, the farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. 
Just tell them about your dog and they'll deliver personalized vet developed recipes for as little as $2 a day. The meals arrive pre-portioned and in ready to serve packs delivered on your schedule. Millions of meals have been ordered across the country. We've been partnering with the Farmer's Dog for a few years now and they really are as good as they say. It really has never been easier to invest in your dog's health with fresh food. Get 50% off your first box of fresh healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash ear. Oh, you know what I can tell you about? I can remind you that the first two episodes of the scripted podcast that we're starring in called Ronstadt drop tomorrow. Again, this, That's is, right. this is a scripted podcast. This is a totally immersive world. It's about a dude named Ronstadt who is a 911 phone jockey who answers all the weird sort of supernatural calls. He has a special ability that gives him uh, the, the the ability to maybe make some, uh, to exercise some decisions based on the calls that he gets. And you know all about Ronstadt because you embodied the role of Ronstadt right. uh, in this. Uh, and a lot of you have been asking as like the trailer and stuff has come out and now the episodes, it's like, what was, what was your inspiration in creating this? It's like, well, we, we didn't create Ronstadt. We just, you know, we wanna be clear about that. It was, uh, it was Q Code brought the opportunity to us, and we got to know Johnny and Brando, who created it, and they wrote the entire first season. So we had the benefit of being able to to read um, the plot and the world that they've created, and it really resonated with us. There were a lot of like mythical esque elements, right. and just just the world and the tone, and the fact it was exciting for us to get involved. Um, so we'd love to say that we created it, but. We, we didn't, we were, we were brought on to the project later and um, brought on as producers uh, as well. And so that kind of helps answer some of the questions that people have had, it's just like, well, usually when you guys do something, like it's about two dudes because you're two dudes and this is not really like that. Like yeah. Rhett's playing Ronstadt and Link's playing uh, like, like three other roles. Yeah, it was, yeah, and th there was a moment that's like, okay, is this for us, but I think, um, you know, because we were really excited about the project and doing something that was getting our feet wet in this, in a, in a different genre, scripted audio podcast. Like you get back into that radio teleplay type stuff. All of that's coming yeah. back around. And if if and maybe we'll create something from the ground up later. Yeah, but sure. To, but to get involved in that project, like we first heard about it in January. I mean, if you, if you were a part of the Mythical Society AMA, you already know this, but right the pacing with which we were able to just jump in and get involved kind of made it, it made it a no brainer. Um, and it also gave me the opportunity to say, uh, you know what, I can play a couple of different roles here right. and see where I fit in. So you'll see where I fit in as the season unfolds. You just wait. So super immersive world and the fact that all this can happen just between your ears and it's your as big as your imagination wants to make it it's just something that it's an, it's a medium we're excited to be involved with Ronstadt first two episodes drop tomorrow wherever podcasts are found okay before we get into creative failure um and rejection i just wanted to start off with like some relational rejection have you ever read uh, been relationally rejected? Of course not. <laughs> I know you. I know you would. You'd set your sights on a girl, but that didn't necessarily mean that their sights were set on you. You know, I actually I thought about this recently. Um, I actually had a tendency. Well, I think there's two things going on. 
first of all, I just really like women. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that started very early. And I and it was very intense, like from, it, well, I'm not talking, this was like not at puberty, this was before puberty. This is like first grade, right? I just had, I had infatuation issues. And, and I would kind of get focused on a girl and typically uh, I would focus on someone who, you dream about flying to her house. Well, I would focus on girls that were, for lack of a better word, unattainable for me, right? Like, I, I don't know what it was. It would be like, okay, this girl is two years older than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be embarrassing for her to date me. Even if we were in the same grade, she probably wouldn't date me, right? I mean, you've seen pictures of me growing up. Uh, and so it, I was a little bit gangly, but I had a lot of confidence and I would, uh, and once I kind of made that decision, I would begin what I guess was my version of flirting and talking and telling other people that I like this girl, telling her friends that I like them. Moving and shaking, trying to get something going. And there are a couple of times where this was a successful strategy and that was all I needed to continue doing it. But I would say that just a percentage breakdown, it's probably 80, 20, 80% rejection, 20% success. Um, so rejected more often than I was accepted. So it, oh, I I didn't think it was that much of a spread. Sorry to I use mean, the term. I, you, I, I, so I, does that mean that not no one rejection stands out? Uh, well, I mean, I my I, if you're t- talking about my like my biggest crush in high school, I don't even consider that a rejection because it was so unrealistic. But like there, I remember a girl. But like, do you? Like one where you were like to her face saying, will you be my girlfriend or how are, will you go with me or will, will you go out on a date? And she was like, ah, no. I don't, I don't think, I, well, you know how it was in like middle school, high school. It never it never really got to the point where you were face to face asking and being rejected. The rejection usually came through a friend before yeah. you got there. That helps, right? Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, the funny thing is, is I don't ever remember uh, I, again, it's it's hard to remember exactly emotionally what you was going on in, in high school, but I would kind of just be like, okay, all right, um, that's not happening. So you, I would just kind of move on. So you never like you never shook you that you can recall. No. Hmm. Okay. Because for me, I mean. My problem was was the opposite. Like I never got, I was so anxious and self-aware and just kind of felt like I didn't know what I, I didn't know what I wanted and it was so much about what should I be doing so that I can, you know, fit in or whatever. So like girls would, I would hear through the grapevine that some girl wanted to date me and then I was like, oh crap, this is a huge test. I feel like I'm gonna fail. There was a lot of fear and anxiety that short circuited, it was just like the polar opposite of you at that time, you know? It short circuited so many of these experiences. So for me to say, well, you know what? I don't think I was ever rejected is definitely not a brag at all because, and I think this is something that when we talk about the creative ramifications of uh, rejection and failure, it's it's this dynamic of fear kind of keeping you from action and if you overcome that, to 
whether that's to create or initiate with somebody or try to initiate some sort of a relationship, it's, um, you never know what can happen if you if you go for it, but you know what's gonna happen if you don't, nothing. Right. And, and I, I think for me the only rejection was, I mean definitely, I was dumped by Jana. Yeah. My sophomore year, she was a freshman, and in my she wrote me a note in my and I put it in my she wrote me the note that we were breaking up because I was just a friend to her because I was I clammed up so much around her and I was so anxious in my and in my own head and it was about what should I be doing and not how do what do what do I want to do I was so I was so in my own head and she was very nice and she let me off the hook but it was a I mean I remember reading that letter and boy that was it was embarrassing to be like okay I just consider you're you're a great person and you're a I read the letter on good mythical morning because once we moved to LA I found my, my I brought my soccer bag out here for some reason yeah, you got to keep your soccer I, bag I thought I was going to play some soccer after not playing for like a decade or something it was sentimental value to have my cleats and stuff in there and but I found that I had kept that rejection letter I guess I don't know why I did it. I'd like to think it was some sort of lesson that then I was going to be I was going to go after what I wanted from then forward and I wasn't going to I wasn't going to let fear clam me up. But I don't think that was actually the case. <laughs> yeah. I just think it was just like man, this is this hurts. I'm but it's I'm I'm so sentimental. I'm going to I'm going to shove it in this bag and I'm never maybe I didn't go in that Pocket anymore, or and maybe I was, I was just you good. I was giving you good advice at the time, man. I was like, "This is quite an you opportunity were. that you've been given." Like, because she like invited you to her house. I went to her house, and I was like, "Well, you should definitely accept that invitation." Yeah, one of my biggest regrets is not riding the four wheeler with her. Right. Yeah, and that's not a euphemism. That's <laughs> literally riding a four wheeler. We were in North Carolina, but that I mean, that would have been so awesome. I mean, here I am, you know. About to turn forty three years old, and I'm still regretting not 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 straddling her on that four wheeler. Right? Yeah. I mean, we'd both be facing the same. I don't know. We could. Who knows what could, directions we would have been facing? There's lots of things. We could have been facing every very, direction, very man. Wide. The seat is very wide. I mean, I mean, once I got away from there's her, there's probably a whole like section on some porn website of just <laughs> stuff that happens on ATVs. I'm not saying I know about it, I'm just saying that that's how specialized things can get. Now, you, you gotta wield the power that we have with caution because just saying that <laughs> is gonna like spike that search. Well, what if it generates a whole new category of porn? I mean, we could take credit for that too. The Miyagi School of Driving Fresh Breath and ATV Porn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're teaching people, people how to, to have drive sex <laughs> on an ATV. It's like there's a bunch of ATVs there. Are those for driving? No, that's just for sex. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh man. Okay. That but, rejection that rejection hurt. So I guess I mean that's all we have to go into the relational stuff. Earbiscus is supported by apartments.com. And if you're looking for an apartment you know, there's you should get in touch with what it is that you can get most excited about. Maybe that's an apartment with a balcony mm. or windows that face a sunset. Oh, I mean, if you're really going to get into thinking about it, because you are going to live there. Hardwood floors in the kitchen, maybe. Mm. Well, Apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks 
all your specific unique boxes. They have powerful tools like amenity filters to make sure your possible future home has all the amenities you need like in-unit washer dryer, air conditioning, dishwasher, balcony. Oh, did you say balcony? Did you say elevator? Some people love a good elevator. Or save searches. You can favor the listings that stood out to you so that you can revisit them and won't lose what could be an amazing future home. I, I like the idea of like one of those things that's usually on top of a barn that says what direction the wind's blowing. Oh, a wind uh, thing, thing. With a rooster. Yeah. Yeah. That. Visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Just to get back to the creative stuff, let's get in our minds what we feel like is not rejection but failure. What's our like biggest creative failure? Do you have something in your mind? I have something in my mind. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is GMM twenty two. Yeah, that that's that's my answer. And we've, I mean, we devoted a whole episode at the. T- it would be interesting to go back and listen to that. Oh, I'm not going to go back. And, and I don't. To that. I don't want to do that. You can do that because that it was, was like that was one of my. I am not proud of. I'm. I'm not. But we can talk about that because I think that's a that's a good example of the way that failure. <clears throat> and rejection can kind of get into your head, you know, let's, because let, I, I got I got very, well, just a little background. Categorize what it was. So, uh, how, what year was that? 2017? I don't know. 2018? 2018. 17 and 18. 17 said. and 18, okay. So, we were given the opportunity, we were approached by YouTube, they were investing in different kinds of content. They actually originally came to us I don't know if we've ever talked about this part of it, but Probably. they originally came to us and asked us if we would make like a a, 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 a a late show version of Good Mythical Morning, so like Good Mythical Night or something like that. And um, we were like, that sounds like a great idea, but like we're already kind of really doing all we can with Good Mythical Morning. And we're like, is there some way to expand Good Mythical Morning itself? Which going back in time, it kind of feels like we should have just done the Late show version. But anyway, uh, in addition to GMM, because we ended up doing five parts of a show every single day. I think it went down to four. But anyway, it was like a multi-part thing. And the the technology worked against us, but also, you know, it's, we said yes, we took, we wanted to go for it. And it did not work. I mean, yeah. long story short, it didn't work. And it, it hurts when it, it's, you know, if you create something and you put your heart and soul into it, I, I'm I'm saying this by contrast. I'm not describing what we did with that. But if in a as an art as an artist, if you create something that you pour your heart and soul into, and then nobody sees it or cares about it, that's a certain type of failure. It's a different thing. What we experienced was something that was near and dear to so many mythical beasts um, that they cared about so much. And we messed with it in a way that frustrated them and was not a good experience, which then made it a in, an even more difficult experience for us because we were we were trying to take into account the all of the feed. There was so much feedback. Yeah. Um, so it w- that was a certain type of very scrutinized failure. It's kind of like the like the water world, like big budget movie scenario where everybody's geared up to see it and then it's just horrible. So it becomes the, you know, the the object lesson of cinema no-nos. You know, it's like maybe, I and because there was, the digital space is much more experimental and, and frontier-like, it, it, 
I don't think it serves, and no one's emulating GMM to the point where it becomes a cautionary tale. Um, so I don't know exactly what we learned, but I think, well, I'm we, sure we learned a lot of well, stuff. And, and we both agree uh, that we're, we're very glad that we said yes and we tried it. I mean, because there are a number of things that came from that. Um, it trans it honestly it transformed our business right we ended up right. moving into the space next door which uh we ended up more than doubling our staff um, the funding that we had we put to work in ways that we're still seeing those benefits now we we were able to take so many of the things that we learned just from a creative and a production standpoint and then incorporate it back into GMM when we went back to the one episode a day version so so I take I totally take back what I said. It's like I don't know if we learned anything. No, because I think the point the principle is absolutely we learned a whole bunch of stuff, and that's kind of the point. And it and it kind of redeems the experience, right? If it if that didn't work, but it changed the trajectory of of where we're headed, and I I can't even articulate all the lessons that we learned but they're ingrained in our experience and impact the decisions that we have been making ever since then. And I think that's that's a principle of of failure is it's less of a failure if you went for something, tried something and learned from it than not going for anything and learning nothing and you might have saved face a little bit but I mean, if it would have destroyed Good Mythical Morning and it wouldn't have recovered, then and, we would be I mean, maybe that could have happened. Differently. Businesses go bankrupt. Yeah. People try things, they have bad ideas, or they have good ideas that just, things out of their control tank it. You know, that absolutely could have happened for us, um, and then it, it would have been a regret, and it would have been what we call a mistake. But, but, but even then. A creative failure. I, I, I choose to believe that even then, it would have led to something else because that's it, that's just my experience is that is always there's a lesson. Thankfully, the lesson didn't come along with a complete, you know, fumbling of Good Mythical Morning and killing it. It, it came back, but there's always a lesson, and you know, and I'm especially grateful for it because that's why I started going to therapy. <laughs> you know, huh. and, and because of just how difficult that time was. Not just the rejection; it was it was more. The rejection was difficult, but it was more just it was too it was too much to take on. But you know, the reason I don't want to go back and listen to that uh, episode um, where we like essentially complained and defended our and, and I, me, I did it more than you did, so I, I take credit for that. I was defensive. I was I was in a bad place. I was hurt. I was trying to. I, I said some things I regret. Now. I think that my if this were if that were to happen today, post therapy, my processing of what was going on would be very different. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV. Like an adventure ready RAV4 available with all wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trail. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently 
and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Because one of the things, and is it next week that we're gonna start talking about the Enneagram? Yes. Okay. We're gonna do it. So we are gonna start, so stay tuned next week and maybe even the following week, we may do a two-part thing with the Enneagram where we're gonna talk about what the Enneagram is a little bit but more just talk about our experience with it, what numbers we are and how that has impacted our lives. But I am uh, Enneagram three, I'm a performer. Uh, there's a number of things that might go into that, meaning that there's it's part nature, part nurture, that I'm a ve I have been a very performance-minded person and when you're a person who finds their worth in their success, you might also be a person who finds their worthlessness in their your failure. failure. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that there is a, and again, and I have been, you know, things have gone really well for me. You know what I'm saying? Things have gone really well for us. Things have also gone well for me individually. Like before we ever, started doing what we did, it was just like, I kinda prided myself on being good at stuff, right? It's like, okay, I'm gonna make good grades, I'm gonna be good at basketball, I'm, I, I, the things that I choose to do, I'm gonna do them well, right? And so I kinda developed this sense of self that was based on being good at things. And then when it keeps happening, when you keep trying, and of course there's lots of failures, there's rejections, like those relational, I wouldn't say that dating was one of the things I was good at, so I'll just put mm -hmm. that out there. I did really well one time with my wife and, it, and, 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 and things have worked out really well since then. Um, but this, this idea, I think the thing that was so difficult about GMM 22 because it was because it was such a public failure in terms, so many people saw it as you guys tried something and it did not work and it's so obvious to everybody, why don't you just admit? Now, isn't that embarrassing? It, yeah, and, and again, it, there's this, you start, if you're me, you start, you've placed some of your own personal value in the way that what you've created is received, right? And so I told you uh, last week my, my recommendation was Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, which I was talking to my therapist about that, and he was like, oh, you know, I used to recommend to a lot of people her TED Talk, which if you don't wanna read the book, uh, which I do recommend the book, uh, you can kinda get a lot of the same ideas and she's done a, she's actually done a number of really popular TED Talks where she, talk, she talks about this, but she kinda emphasizes this, this idea of what you create uh, matters a whole lot but also doesn't matter at all, right? There's this sort of built-in irony like, it's it's sacred and it's awesome and the creative creative expression is a, is an incredible thing, but also you kind of have to live as if it doesn't matter, especially how it's received. The thing that you can't control, the thing you can control is what you create and how you create it. The thing you cannot control is its reception, and and we operate in this world where reception is such a big piece of the pie yeah. because we throw things out there constantly. We're throwing things out there to this, the most interactive media genre that's ever existed, you know, what has happened in, in, with, since YouTube, right? So immediate feedback and also this 
high quantity of content that's going out there. So you're just getting this constant feedback that's shaping everything. And so that's been very difficult for me, a performance-based person, to create in a medium where approval, literally, like how many people like this? How many people watch it? There's the, the, the approval is quantifiable. And it's a reflection in your mind of what people think of you, their assessment of you as a person. Oh, you must not be as smart as I thought you were, Rent and Link, because you made a decision that led to something that was embarrassing, right. that was a failure. You know, I think the thing for us though is because we have this longstanding and growing relationship with our audience that it, it's, it created a soft place for us to fall. You know where um, if I I think any anybody who listens to this podcast uh, weekly has a sense of who we are and is is on board. We have a you know it's there's an understanding and there's a there's a belief in hey I might I like these guys you know I'm I'm loyal to these if guys you, if you stick e- around even if some things that they create. Are not don't aren't aren't the best thing for me. Like you may have a favorite artist who has a body of work that from album to album you may not like every single album the same. Like Sturgill Simpson, like I feel like I have a relationship with his work, not with him. That is, you know, is it's special to me. But there's certain albums that like I really applaud the fact that he's doing his thing, and it's it wasn't for me. And and there's been a few of those albums, right? And but I'm but I still I still believe in him and like give him this. And those weren't failures; they just weren't for me. But even if they were failures, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm I'm still a fan, and I respect the fact that like just because I don't like it, or even if people didn't like it, that he was doing his thing, mm-hmm. and I'm on board for that. And we have we have the the benefit of having that soft place to fall because. We have that that loyalty and that relationship built. There's, you know, I was reading Questlove's creativity book, which spoiler alert, I'll I'll recommend at the end and give you details about it. But he's talking about he talked about a creative failure, and if people don't, and the type of failure that like if you put something out into the world and nobody notices or cares, and he he was spinning that in a positive way as. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that to do something. There's freedom that we don't have because everything we do because of our success has a level of scrutiny um, that if if you're a developing artist and you do something that doesn't work, you can you can focus on the freedom to then try something new and and not be under the thumb of people's expectations. I think there's a there's a way to redeem every failure or every rejection. And I definitely think that's um finding there's always you can always see it as an opportunity if you want to. You can always spin and focus on the positive and you can learn things from it. You know, if it if it if it builds into who you are and changes who you are and absolutely then it was worth it. Right, and it it enables you to move forward as long as you don't as long as you don't allow it to keep you from moving forward. And I definitely feel that if we 
Yeah, as we talk about GMM 22 now, and if we continue to talk about it, we're not. Cause I'm just not that interested in it, but mm -hmm. like I'm interested in talking about the other, some other failures and rejections. Our conversation would continue to be different. Like so all the stuff that you said and that I would say if we were continuing to talk about it would be different than what we're saying at that point in time when we were still really reeling from it, you know? And I'm and I that may be the biggest takeaway that there's a that the experience made us um maybe maturity is the right word or um well we had the you know we have the benefit of being able to kind of get back on the horse and throw something else out into the world. It's kind of what you're saying, a soft place to land. You've got an audience. You, 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 it's not like you, we, when we made a television show that got one season, which we can, t we, you know, our two TV things, both our very first foray in 2007 as hosts, that show was short-lived. And then the show that, you know, we actually helped make and create that was much more about us got one season. Commercial Kings. And, uh, and then it's like you can't just turn around and churn out another television show, but you can turn to the internet and turn to a faithful audience. So we do have this ability to kind of, we have this distinct advantage of not having to sort of sit in our failure and not be able to move forward creatively. And one of the things that uh, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, and I, this may be in the book, but it's definitely in one of the TED Talks, but she talks about how, uh, you know, she had the incredible success of, writing uh, Eat, Pray, Love, which got turned into a movie. I haven't read the book or seen the movie. No, I don't necessarily plan to. I'm not sure it's for me, but it was a huge success. It was on the bestseller list for like three years, you know? And then she experienced this incredible success and then there was all this pressure on writing her next book and she wrote her next book and it bombed. And she was like, thank goodness I got that out of the way. It's mm. like, unlike Harper Lee, who she talks about in Big Magic who wrote The Kill of Mockingbird and then didn't write anything else. And she didn't write anything else because she was scared of not being able to repeat the success of To Kill a Mockingbird. Now. I thought there was a hidden novel. That no, like, she she did, something else was released later, but I'm saying for a long time she but didn't she, write. But yeah, but it wasn't, Harper Lee did not publish it, I right. don't think. She was so scared. So one of the things that she talks about is how you, you've got this home position, right? and then success throws you away from home and failure throws you away from home. But emotionally, you don't really have the cognitive ability to feel the difference. In other words, success can be just as disorienting as failure can, right? Um, and, and also it goes to your head in a similar way, right? So you can, success can breed fear, failure can breed fear, um, and she's like, whether you are super successful with something or it's something is a huge flop, the goal for her is to return home, is to return to home base. And for her, home is doing the thing that she would do anyway if success or failure, you know, whether people are watching or not. And that's writing for her, right? Uh, it's, a, it's simple for her. She's gonna go back to writing and that's what she's gonna do whether or not you're buying it or not. Um, and I think that, now our creative process is complicated. It's not, we're not just writing, we're doing a bunch of different things. And also the larger, the more success that we've gotten and the bigger our company has become, there's more people depending on the stuff that we come up with 
working than there than there were ten years ago, right? So now it's like okay, now we've got there's people's livelihoods are on the line, right? There's a company, there's employees, and so something working isn't just about us and our like personal creative fulfillment. So it's a little bit complicated, but the advantage we have with being able to turn around and just be like, well, there's gonna be another video on Monday. There's gonna be another podcast next week. There's gonna be another, we're gonna go right back to the drawing board and start writing another pilot for something or writing a movie, is that we, we our home is pretty clear. We, we always know where to come back to, and that's just coming back to the creative process and just churn something else out. But specifically, Good Mythical Good Morning and Ear Biscuits being kind of like a creative home base where it's properties that are working, where we're reaching you listening or watching, you know? It's, 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 a, it's quite a luxury, especially because we've been able to structure our professional lives to then spend a good amount of time on speculative stuff. So, I, and I do wanna get back to that and reference the stuff we talked about last week. Everything that fizzled out was rejected or failed. You know, we, you, you weren't, it, it, it's, it's difficult for me because I'm more of an, you know, I thrive more in the execution phase and I don't mean the killing, but I'm meaning carrying out of the creative process than in the ideation and the, the writing of it, um, which is, a point that you thrive in. So I'm actually curious how you interact with, you know, um, a, a premature rejection. It's like we we write, a, we write a pitch, we write five pitches on a page like we read last week and then, you know, maybe none of them, nobody's excited about it so then we ask, oh crap, we'll just, we'll just put that in the Google Drive and read it on Ear Biscuits years later and laugh about it. But in the moment, it's like, ah, gotta start over. Already starting over. And I'm sitting on my hands like, oh, okay, gotta start over. You know, or we are writing, a, we, we decide to go write a pilot and spend that amount of time to invest in that, knowing that because it's a foray into traditional entertainment, it's skipping tracks for us. And we have this, you know, it's something what we really want. We want to, uh, we want to, we want to stretch our arms and build our muscles creatively and uh, take some swings in other places, just to, just to, just to get those type of things out into the world. Just to make that type of stuff, mm -hmm. to have that challenge and that experience and that reward. But we know that. We're not as special. In fact, what we discover is that, I guess in, in most people's ideas and these gatekeepers, like we're not, like the things that make us special or at least the popularity the, and the, the momentum that we have, <clears throat> excuse me, and the success that we have. Not an asset. It just doesn't seem, it, it, might, it gets us in the room, but it doesn't necessarily get things made. And you I, would know go, I, I would go as far as to say it's not an asset; it's a it's a liability. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you we at least start to question that because it's like, okay, we can get in the room, but is it okay? Are we are our ideas and what we've written and what we our pitches is it are they not good enough? Well, there's other reasons out that don't have anything to do with who we are and like our ability and talent as artists. But it is a part of it, so it's like you start—you can get in your own head about that type of stuff. 
Um, because you pitch in the room and they're like, there's, there's a million reasons to say no and there seems to only be a few reasons to say yes and then even a yes to a pilot is some, it's an unknown length process to then, and it's, it's a crapshoot that something ever gets made. So it's like, it's, it's setting us up for a beating and we've been, so even though we're so successful, we focus on this, what we wanna go after and we do have this experience of taking a beating, you know? Mm. So, so how do we deal with that? And because we keep signing up for it and it's, re, it's more frustrating for us because we know the experience of making something and have it and people seeing it and people liking it, you know? It, and, or if they don't, it's a soft place to fall. We're so we're spoiled, right? But we're but we're trying to switch tracks and do something different. I mean, I, I'll so I'll let you respond to that, and then I'll talk about how like I've tried to adjust my approach mentally t- to this entire process. I mean, uh, I think I'm thinking a lot of things. Um, you know, I definitely. Uh, there is a part of me that I've always kind of had this belief that's probably, that's not a realistic belief that we can do anything, <laughs> right? That if it's we- It's kind of like you can date anybody? Yeah, we can, if you set your mind to something, we can figure this out. We can we can write a book, we can, we can write a movie, we can make music, we can, you know, and so we have done a lot of those things because there's just this, persistent belief that we can do it. Cause I'm always like, well, somebody, somebody figured it out, you know? And the funny thing is, is that in Big Magic, she she kind of talks, I, one of the things I always think that when it, when I'm writing, for for instance, and I'm learning a lot while I'm writing, and, I'm, and especially if we have the privilege of working with someone who's more experienced, like we did on a recent thing that we developed, that's still kind of maybe gonna be something, but probably not, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, is my lack of experience and education in the creative arts becomes frustrating to me, right? Now, meaning that I went to engineering school, right? I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't even pay attention in any of my creative classes. I, I didn't, I didn't make the connection between how there was an opportunity to like pursue vocationally entertainment until you know, YouTube came around. And so you start seeing that like, okay, well, it isn't easy to just write something. It, it's, it, it doesn't just come naturally. Like there are sort of, there are some unspoken rules and there are rules that the people who are gonna be reading your scripts know. They've been educated, they've read a lot of scripts. They, there's certain things that they're looking for. Now I'm not, you know, you can get way too formulaic in the process, but, one of the things that she talks about in Big Magic is how that creative education in academia is kind of overrated, right? Like the idea of storytelling in general is something that is exists in our DNA as a species. And this is this is who we are. And then I start questioning, well, do I have anything important to say? Like, do do we have something that people will care about? It, is this original enough? You know, is this an original idea? 
she's Elizabeth says, you know, originality is secondary to authenticity, right? And there's nothing, ultimately, there's nothing original. Like, it, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, Solomon had that figured out. And so, you're going to do something that has been done. You're gonna come up with a melody that is kind of already exists. It's like, there's only so many combinations of notes. There's only so many expressions of ideas. There's only so many stories you can tell. But only you, as an individual, can tell your specific story in your specific way. And so I, th th so that's. So this helps counteract this inf an inferiority complex or a fear of being exposed as like uneducated or not as, or untalented. Because everyone is faking it. I, you know, when you think about it, the person that you're pitching to is also faking it. They're trying to maintain their job. They, 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 they're, they don't wanna get fired. And they wanna please the person that they report to, who wants to please the person that they report to, who wants to be the man or whatever. You know, so it's like everyone is kind, I'm not saying that you know, technical creative writing education is a bad thing. I'm not, I, I think that would be great. I wish I had, got, had had it, honestly, right? Especially given what I'm doing now. But when you kinda just are like, listen, this doesn't really matter and also, if I'm not enjoying every step of the process up to the point of rejection, which the good news is I am. I enjoy writing. I, I enjoy the process of creating a world and exploring things and putting words into, into characters' mouths and that kind of thing. And every single time I do it, I learn a whole lot. So I know the next time I do it, it's gonna be better. And I'm probably gonna increase, the chances will be increased the next time that this will come to light. But you know what? If it doesn't, it's just a lesson, it's just an experience, and it's what was supposed to happen, you know? Even if that's not true, even if everything doesn't happen for a reason, living like everything happens for a reason is a healthy perspective. I think for me, and this is something that I actually started saying out loud as we were entering into certain processes, uh, I, I'm thinking of two examples. One is um, we were we were doing a pitch and we had we had teamed up with somebody who, if the pitch went as a television show, we would like they would be running the they'd be the head writer and like showrunner, and we were we were pitching that, and, and then the other one is 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 writing the pilot that we collaborated with, you know, a, a friend and mentor. So with with the first one, I remember we went. In, we were going into uh, well, it doesn't matter which which network, but you know, bona fide meeting, big deal. Uh, by the way, we, we don't. Our livelihood is not connected to our pitches working for some, for things being bought from us. Like we yeah. have this luxury of not having this. Um, oh gosh, I got to. You know this. Uh, I got to put food on the table. You know we we got to make this work. There's not a desperation. There's not a there's not a desperation. Um, but we want it so bad that it feels the same yeah. at times. And I do think that as you were getting at it, kind of short that can short circuit um, your ability to to pitch and sell something. I think when it's like you're you're gripping so tightly that you're like shaking or you know. Sometimes literally, I remember we had done it. We had gone around town pitching this thing, and this was this was the last person we were pitching to. 
And remember we were sitting in the waiting room w- with uh, the writer who we were pair- we paired ourselves with. And before we went back there, I, you remember I said to him, I was like, well, um, you know what? If 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 this doesn't, this is our last meeting. If this doesn't go, we may never see you again. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like we we were introduced to him for this project. We really hit it off. I think you know, I could see us being really good friends and collaborators and having an entire creative future together. Or, and that's why that's one of the reasons we picked the person. Mm-hmm. Or this could be the last time that we ever see each other. And I, you know, there was like this kind of uncomfortable laughter because we all knew it was true, right? It's just not the type of thing that you typically say unless you're Link and you're, and you're a little nervous so you're trying to figure out something to talk about. Uh, and there's nothing like a good dose of the truth to really shake you out of being nervous. And that's that's exactly what happened. That is the la- That was a, over a year ago and even without the COVID of it all, like we still would have never have seen him again. I mean, we might, who knows if we'll ever cross paths, but it was just like, you know, we we could be working together for years or we could never see each other. Isn't that funny, yeah, <laughs> you know? That's, yeah, that's and true. the reason why I said it is because I was trying to adopt this philosophy that like all of this stuff is so tenuous. Like l- let's, it, it, the least we can do is be entertained by the process because it may not be ever anything more than this. Like we go into this pitch, we practiced it, we we kind of know it backwards and forwards. Um, let's have fun with it. If all that happens with this project and it never goes past a pitch, well, I want to have fond memories of this pitch. Like I want to take the pressure off and just convey that we believe in it and leave the results to whatever whatever power you want to leave the results to. So. That's the thing that I was trying to do was just embrace the process because the results are out of our control. And all you, yeah, all we can do is we can come up with an idea, we can write a story, and we can have a compelling pitch. But it is so tenuous because the reason that someone might say no could very easily be what they had for lunch. It could be a conversation that they had with their spouse right before the meeting. And that can be frustrating or it can be fuel to let go of the things that, that you just have an illusion I, of I control I think when of. you actually think about it and when you understand how tenuous it is, for me, it is helpful to be like, you know what, why would I place my value, my happiness in the hands of someone who just had a bad lunch? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like what? And so again, it is frustrating when you take the. But I, I feel like for me, it's step one is finding joy in the process. What you just said, like, and that is everything from the conceptualization and the writing to going out and talking about it, meeting people, doing the pitches, like having fun while we're doing it. And then the second thing is is, and this is not easy. I wanna be very clear, this isn't easy for anybody, it's definitely not easy for me, somebody who built an identity on you know, impressing people, <laughs> to take all the power, to, to give the, the, the results, the ex, my expectations, I, there's no power in that. I'm just re- removing all my expectations uh, altogether and trying to detach myself from the outcome. 
if I can have, if I can enjoy the process and detach myself from the outcome. And again, there's things that make that easier for us given the fact that it doesn't have to work. Like we can go back, we can keep doing what we're doing. It's we're gonna be okay in the short term financially. You know, we're not depending on this working in order to yeah. eat. Yeah. Uh, so those are the and, and again, if, and if that's your situation, uh, again, I know I'm 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 biting a lot of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's thoughts here, but I mean, she kind of makes the point that because the process, uh, the arts are so tenuous, and because people, you're putting your livelihood into the whims of another person who holds the purse strings. She recommends don't quit your day job. I know that sounds harsh, but she's like, she didn't stop working her day job until after she published Eat, Pray, Love and it started seeming like it was working. Like she she was, she was she had all these different jobs and she was like, um, find, find, make yourself, give yourself that creative time, but the moment that you begin to attach yourself and attach your self-worth and attach your own livelihood to it, it becomes a it becomes a different thing. Now we've got we had the privilege of okay, well the baseline creativity stuff is working, so we have this privilege of being able to kind of do that, to put these things out into the world and not have them have to work. But yeah, and with the with that second example of uh, you know co-writing a pilot with with somebody with a lot more experience that can give you know just being on Zoom calls and having that time. It was just like, you know, this is just, you know, the thing that I would remind myself and just, I would say out loud at times to all of us on the Zoom call is that's like, you know, like you said, this may never, this may never be anything, but uh, it's it's fun to think about what it could be. And it this is fun right now. Like this experience is fun. Like finding, like taking that moment to pause and recognize, oh, we just got notes, but the way he gives notes is he he does he records it all audio stream of consciousness, and then he just emails it to you. So like you've got this like verbal processing of what we've conceptualized and what you've written, and there's like this detailed analysis of it that like people would pay, people would save up for years to get that type of feedback on something they've written oh, yeah. from from someone of you know this level of experience and just saying okay i might be the notes might eviscerate and i actually and they didn't but even if they did it's like wow what a what a cool process it's like going to signing up for your driving course and then you get to the parking lot and mr miyagi gets in the car with you with a glass yeah, of wine right. it's like Oh God, this is this is freaking cool! I need to go home and watch Karate Kid now, and I think I would really really appreciate this. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And it's it's tough to do that. It's tough to enjoy the process because I think there is a there's this romantic notion of the of the starving artist and the desperate artist and the tortured artist. You know, literally, you know, somebody like Van Gogh cutting off his own ear. You know, like you have this. There's this cultural entity which is you've got to drag yourself through 
a torturous experience in, in, in order to come out on the other side in success and it's like, well first of all, the success on the other side may be just as disorienting as the failure and the struggle. You are who you are and your baseline happiness is kind of pre-tuned, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's very difficult for me because I always have thought that yeah, this is supposed to be this like, I'm, this is supposed to be a grind and you're really supposed to just like throw yourself in this and be able to look back and be like, oh man, we worked so hard on that and then it became a thing, but it's just like, I don't know if it's gonna become a thing. Can I just learn to enjoy these the steps? I mean, who, who knows? If one of these things becomes a reality, it'll be fun, it'll be awesome, but it'll also complicate our lives in a certain way, right? Like, okay, we do a 100 different things already, Let's throw 101 in there and this one will be making a television show, making a movie. I'm not saying we won't find a way to make it happen, but you know what? It'll be stressful. It'll be it'll be a complicating factor in things. Yeah. So it's not always like the success or something happening is going to be some incredible thing that is going to change change your life. You know. Um yeah. So it, it, I I I think Ultimately, for me, it's just a constant battle to detach myself from the from the outcome, and also to when the outcome is failure, which is most often with the, especially with the stuff that we're talking. It's in fact only almost exclusively failure and rejection with mm -hmm. the ideas that we've talked about before. Um, seeing that there's probably ultimately more long term value in those in the in those rejections and failures than there would be in one of them working out. And I think my chief struggle is something that will make more sense in light of our Enneagram conversations over the next couple of weeks because my struggle is when things are so speculative and you, they're not actually like nuts and bolts of doing and, and like perfecting, like executing and perfecting like the next parts of the creative process, like if, if a project never gets off the ground and that keeps happening and happening, I get very uh, uh, dejected. I feel like I'm sitting on my hands, you know, because I'm not the writer and, you know, I'm not as much of the idea from nothing comes an idea. It's more of like, yes, I, I'm, I get on board with those things and then let's go for it. Right. You know, so. There's a different type of strug struggle for me uh, in this kind of like to stay engaged mm -hmm. when it's you know our hands have been tied with COVID and but also so much is speculative and now we're you know we've actually got people whose full time job is to as a development person I can I don't think I could ever be a development person because now that we're working closely with uh, Mallory and Taylor who are like working for us full time to take our ideas, develop other ideas, bring projects in and like get traditional things off the ground. It's like, it's very hard for me to uh, to remain engaged because it's just so speculative. I can just be like, this is, this is never gonna happen. I'm never gonna be able to engage what I feel like my gifts and my passions are because we're just, we're, we're we're just meandering around a starting line and then no one may ever fire the gun to, to run. You know, it's like, call me when it's time to run, you know? And so it's been, it, that's 
that's a that's what's been difficult for me. And it's not even, so then I start to anticipate the rejection and just disengage, I think to protect myself from the dejection of of never getting to the part that's where I feel like like I I thrive and I can find my flow. Right. Um, and maybe that'll come up more uh, or you can just kind of take what I just said and map it onto being an Enneagram one next week, so. And I think that's one of the reasons that we end up, uh, you know, we've got something planned. We have a cre- we have a creative exercise. Yeah, we do. That we have planned for the fall that is. We have complete control over it and yeah. it is going to happen. We're going to make it. Yeah, and and I and I think for me that was a reaction to what you're what you're talking about. Yeah, sure, I may be engaged in like the writing process, but when you've for years you've been able to put things out there, whether it was a music video or a sketch, or something that's a, uh, that's coming from a different place creatively. Then obviously, Good Mythical Morning is its own entity. But it, but Good Mythical Morning has become, as we've established, it's been it's become an environment that we place ourselves into, and we're just kind of operating off the cuff and as ourselves, and kind of being ourselves, and our friendship is on display and that kind of thing. It's a different kind of entertainment than something that's because the conceptual stages are happening with a writing team and producers and on, on purpose. It's like we're not trying to like throw ourselves back into GMM creatively. We're throwing ourselves into other places creatively. And, but then after a while you're like, well, I gotta get something, we used to at least have like a sketch or a music video or something like that that would get out there and it's a different process of throwing that out into the world and having people react to it. So I think that our reaction to feeling a little bit restricted in that way is to say, well, let's let's put something out there, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so that, I'm, I'm I don't really, want to build it up too much because it's not going to be anything that they're going to that they can predict. Yeah, and, yes, and yeah. It, so if they I agree with that, so don't if you think anything that you could predict and would then you would get excited about, don't do it because yeah. it's not that type of thing. Right. But we're excited about it, and uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to make a recommendation. You know, you had your creative book, which uh, uh, I'm actually listening to it. I'm I'm not that far into it, but I really appreciated early on she talks about fear being a um a barrier to to creativity. Yeah. Um I I was going in a a record shop and I found I knew this existed and then I I'd forgotten and then I remembered so I picked it up. Questlove wrote uh, a creative book called Creative Quest. A creativity book is what I meant to say. Um, I'm not all the way through this thing. I skipped to the last chapter so that I, it could inform our success and failure is one of the last chapters. And so um, I'm a big fan of Quest Love. You know, honored to have met him in, uh, in the in the halls of. The, actually, we met him. We didn't meet him on the halls of the Tonight Show. We met him during the. We just met him during the show. I mean, Quest Love played drums for us to rap. Isn't that crazy? Our eighth grade. Questlove is awesome. Eighth grade talent show, uh, Halloween fall festival thing. So he it's crazy. has, so uh, Creative Quest, fun book. Uh, it talks about, it. you know, it's, it's his relationship with creativity and the thing that got me 
was his his opening line. Uh, Decades into my career with many albums and songs under my belt, I still don't know if I am truly creative. Most days I spend more time absorbing the creative work around me than actually creating myself. At times I feel like I'm a way better student than I am a teacher or a maker. Um, and that really resonated with me. I think a, a lot of you know what I said just a few seconds yeah. ago about um, you know, that's a testimony to, to our teamwork and that we will talk about with the Enneagram. That was like, okay, a guy who is undeniably creative has this, like, this doubt in his mind if he would call himself that because of the way that he engages with uh, the creative world is, is, uh, is different. So if you're into Questlove, if that resonates with you, Creative Quest is my recommendation. Tell us about your experience with creativity, failure, rejection. Hashtag ear biscuit, biscuits. That's what we're calling it now. Ear biscuits. This has been a longer biscuits. one. Yeah, uh, and we you know, love to talk about how much we suck. Join us. Join us next week as we finally get into the enneagram. <laughs>